In this Product Launch Rebel episode, I interview Mikolai Bador, where he reveals an inspiring story about how his being underestimated in high school drove him to prove others wrong and become the leader of a high-performing sales organization. Plus, he provides truckloads of advice on sales-related topics, including how to reduce the fear of rejection, which is often a key obstacle for aspiring entrepreneurs. I would try and get them to say no as many times as possible so that I could understand why and then ask why. I'm a big boy. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I just want to get better at my job and and I don't want to waste time of other folks who are maybe in your similar situation. Just diffuse it to say it's okay you're saying no to me. It's okay you're saying no to me. There's yes or there's no. Getting, Getting over the fear of rejection is understanding that we all face it. Number two is that by collecting no's, that's not a bad thing. And then studying those no's. Why do they say no right then? Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels, and welcome once again to the Product Launch Rebel podcast, brought to you by VentureSuperfly.com, where we help double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you're in a sea of self-doubt. Once again, please visit the Venture Superfly website and check out the contact page to join our mailing list. I'd really appreciate that. Today, I'm interviewing Mikolai Bedore. His background and strength is in sales. He's the founder of Bedore Business Group, which he describes as a boutique sales agency where he brings sales expertise and sales teams to help entrepreneurs grow. Prior to starting his company, Mikolai was known for taking underperforming territories at some of the biggest companies in the world and making them award-winning profit centers. So here we are with Mikolai. Mikolai, welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. John, thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a true honor to, to spend the morning with you. So Mikolai, let's start off just giving some context to who you are. Tell us about yourself, who you've worked with, and maybe some of your accomplishments. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I'm a small town guy, like a real small town guy. Um, we'll get to that later, but I think that to, to level that baseline of, of what's kind of motivated um, this path that we that I took. Um, yeah, so it's kind of a tale of two, two stories. So I spent the first kind of 12 to 13 years of my life um, ranked in the top one to three percent um, of sales performers at some of the largest organizations in the world. Um, that was IBM, Oracle, Verizon. And what I excelled at was turning kind of burnt toast territories or product lines uh, that weren't moving or weren't selling uh, into award winning profit centers. And what I was good at is just kind of identifying the chink in the armor and then kind of, you know, kind of turning that to our advantage and really helping move those territories along. And um, my last gig, uh, it was a remote gig. And um, so we didn't have an office. And I, at the time, was I didn't want to work from home. So I went and uh, joined a co-working space called Coco, uh, which is similar to WeWork. And um, there I got a chance to to share an office space with really, really bright, uh, incredible product creators um, who struggled with something that came very easy for me, 
which was how to sell their, their vision, their idea and, and get new business through the door. To me, they were geniuses. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And something so simple as to let's sell this product better, faster, you know, so on and so forth, um, just came naturally for me. So, so we would work together. They would teach me, you know, how to build products and I would teach them how to do this. We did, I did it for free for, for many years, uh, you know, at my other company. But what it did is it motivated me to say, you know what, I think, I think I should do this. There was just a joy in my heart uh, that came with, with, with helping these, these folks out. Um, and ironically, I was actually at a, a big company corporate event where the, the presenter asked us to close our eyes and say, you know, hey, if money wasn't an object, what would you do? And I, I realized right then, I'm like, this is what I need to do. So, um, yeah, put that, uh, that, that big corporate life behind and, uh, jumped full in, in the Q2 of 2015 into entrepreneurship, uh, in, in BBG. So what BBG does is we, we do fractional sales leadership, we build teams, um, and we also do some keynote speaking and an event called coffee and closers, which is, um, the largest independently produced uh, sales show in the state, um, just as a way to give back. But we love building small companies. We love building bigger companies or helping bigger companies launch new things. Um, it's a blast, and uh, it's been a fun ride. Very exciting. And let's step back even further. How did you get into sales in the first place? You know, I kind of kept this a little secret. Um, but, you know, with Coffee and Closers and um, some of the visibility we've had, I've been able to share it. And I was embarrassed, you know, for, for many years because I don't, I don't think anybody wants to admit that they weren't great um, – at school, but I wasn't. So in high school, I barely graduated. Uh, you know, I small town, um, and uh, everyone went to this insert this college or that college and got these types of jobs. Well, I wasn't one of them. So I had a, I don't know what year it was, but um, I was sitting down during a home ec class, and uh, the the teacher there we were talking about kind of career advancement, and basically took a look at my GPA and said, "Hmm, you might want to consider." technical work or a technical college. And, uh, I think that's the life for you. But at the time I was, she didn't know this. I was failing, uh, shop class. So I thought, what? Yeah. I mean, what I, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life at that point. That was a dark day. But, um, my uncle Jana, who's my absolute hero. Um, he, I got my black belt through him. I learned how to play guitar, um, thanks to him. And, uh, he was a sales guy. And, uh, so he, he, he took me along one day. He said, Hey Mickey, why don't you come out? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I got this, this van, we'll drive around free pop. I'll even buy buy a lunch. And I said, well, that sounds like a deal. So I hopped in the car, I went with him and we'd hop in, we'd go around to his, his customers and every place we went, they were celebrating him. Oh, Jonna, Jonna. And I thought, what is this? You're, is, you get paid? to do this. It's literally everything I'm getting in trouble for at school. You're getting paid to do this. I said, Jono, what is this? He said, it's, it's sales, buddy. And that was it. I was like sold. I'm, I'm going to pursue this and I'm going to pursue it hard because when someone tells you that you can't do something that you have no value, um, you find that one thing that you, and you stick to it. And that's what I did. So, you know, I'm kind of this weird age where I grew up analog right before the internet and then now with the internet. So, um, I think there's an advantage to that because you, you end up, it forces you to adapt. But what, what I also learned along the way is, uh, it used to be IQ before Google, it was only IQ. Yeah. That's how, that's how you were judged. And, right. uh, that's definitely how I was judged. Uh, back in, in growing up in high school. But what you're seeing now with Google and, and data at our fingertips is is you're seeing it is less focused on IQ and more focused on EQ, you know, emotion. 
intelligence. Right. Um, and there, we've been asked myself. And just, and, I, I just want to interrupt. It's emotional intelligence that, that you mentioned right there. You you broke up yes. briefly, so I just want to be clear to the to the audience that you're referencing emotional intelligence. Yes, and. It's yes, it's a buzzword, but I think it's been around for a while and now we're starting to celebrate it. So folks like myself, marketers, so on and so forth, that may maybe we're C C degree kids now are being celebrated and and they're being sought after because it's it's hard to teach that. Do you know what I mean? You can learn process, you can learn communication patterns, um, but it's really hard to teach that. Um, And therefore, you know, we're, we're, I'm on your podcast. I mean, imagine 20 years ago, there's no way I'd be invited to be on this podcast, but now it's become a thing and people are starting to notice it. And people that are exquisite at it um, are helping to carve, you know, our economy today. It's, it's quite, I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and that raises the question that I have. What do you think has been your secret to success in sales? Well, you know, other than being told that that was the only you know, discovering it was maybe my only skill, which obviously that tongue in cheek that, that, you know, that's, we've cracked that wide open at this point to say, okay, there's other skills I have. Um, but I think to be successful in anything, okay, sales aside, anything, you have to appreciate it, whatever it is, you have to just have an appreciation for it because if you have an appreciation for it, you'll want to learn more about it. I think to be successful in anything, there has to be an appreciation for it. So to start my appreciation for sales goes way back to that conversation that I had in home ec that, uh, you know, I didn't have any tangible skills, Yeah. but what, but what's grown is a true love and, and a love and appreciation for the art and science of sales and, and learning, right. I, I, I can't tell you how many books, podcasts I'm, I'm just consuming information constantly because sales, the art and science of sales is data driven. Yes. But the, but the art of it is communication and communication is everywhere. Okay. It's not just the, the job title salesperson. We're all salespeople. I'm a father, right? (laughs) You know, I'm selling my kids on why to eat their broccoli or whatever. Um, everybody is selling these days and all it is, is organized communication that's delivered clearly, uh, with purpose and integrity. And that's a very large chasm. So to me, I think why I feel I've been successful is because I'm always learning more about it. And when you're always learning more about it, it's hard not to be successful. Because sales is a language. It's a language. And it's like learning Spanish in, in you know, college and, and never applying it. You're going to lose that language. So to me, staying up on it and the, and the moving trends, that's, that's probably why I've stayed ahead of the curve. You know, in observing you, and this is just another point of view, in terms of you doing your coffee and closure presentations here at WeWork, when I see you talking to other people, to me, it's it makes me think of some of the other qualities that other successful people have, and it's simply you're just you're curious about others, and it seems it seems at face value at least that you just naturally are inclined to want to help and bring value to somebody, and you might not even be selling anything. You're just talking to somebody one on one, and maybe that's part of the emotional intelligence that we referenced earlier, you seem to warm people up sort of naturally, authentically. And I think that has an influence on others, whether or not you have an interest in being quote unquote successful. It's just, it seems like you can put people to ease, generate a good conversation with somebody and sort of be likable in an authentic way right off the bat. You're not really trying to sell anything. 
it seems to me. It seems like you're just trying to genuinely help them. And with that set of qualities, people feel at ease that you're, whether they buy from you or not, they um, genuinely feel that you're interested. So I think myself, you know, aside, I think that curiosity is at the root of any good salesperson is, is just naturally being curious. You know what I mean? Because people, they don't like to be sold. They like people like, but people like to buy. I mean, clearly, right? Like, especially here in the States, but that curiosity is genuine in, in, coming from me. And I, I believe that, uh, that, that most successful uh, entrepreneurs, salespeople, marketers, whatever you want to call them are naturally curious. They actually want to know more about you. Your background is extremely impressive, John. There's so much that I want to know about that. I don't think your listeners want to listen to us have that kind of conversation, but there's so much that you know that I'm curious of. Um, and when you have that natural curiosity and then you pair that with the confidence that I can help you, right? I can help you. If you just have that in your back pocket to say, I'm not good at all these things, but I'm really good at this and or my product is really good at doing this and I'm naturally curious, well, I'm going to pair the two together by de default because you're going to say something that prompts me to say, man, you know what? I got this thing. Um, if you're open to it, I can show it to you or I can check it, whatever you want to say, right? And, and, and then all of a sudden the sales happen because it isn't about me or my product. It's been about you the whole time. And, and whether that's just me, I doubt it. I think most salespeople are just, they're just curious. We're curious. We're naturally interested in, in who you are, what you're about, where you're going. Now, when you, do you train other people in sales? Yes and no. I, I, I want to think that I, I train people by, by doing. I, we have trained in the past, but here's the thing. And this, you know, this is tough for me to, to admit, but I've been doing this a very long time. Right. And I value those true teachers. That's how I learned my guitar was through a guy named Josh. He was a great teacher, excellent guitar player, even better teacher. I think sometimes when I try to describe and explain how I do things, there is the formula, the science piece of it, people can copy. But there is an art. There is an art that I, it's hard for me to extract sometimes. So when I teach or if we train, um, I, I keynote a lot. I do a lot of keynote uh, engagements. And that to me is the best because we can focus on a topic. I've been asked to be an adjunct uh, professor at some colleges around town, and I'm considering because I can explain things if they're if they're done on that platform, right. much like a boardroom presentation. But when it comes to true one-on-one -on -one coaching, there are things that I can do well in 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 regards to, to teaching or, or communicating, you know, certain patterns, and they're just are they're things that I just do naturally that I don't realize. And uh, so, I'd like to say that we train uh, out of out of you know, come follow me, right? Come follow me, and I'll show you. Sure. Kind of a player coach, if you will. Now, let's step away from you a little bit, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are on observing other successful people that have been in sales. Mm -hmm. And what have you seen that has impressed you or that you have learned from that hasn't come easy for you in your sales formula or approach beyond what is just successful for you? Have you seen some other formulas or characteristics that you really envy in others. One thing that I've always admired is, is again, that, that pairing of curiosity and confidence in one's offering. Um, that to me is it, that, that is the blend of success, but I've also, I appreciate people. And this is why 
I wasn't the best at BD, business development, if you will. That's basically cold calling and making appointments for other people. I wasn't great at that because it was it was kind of transactional. Where I excelled was in the conversion to close, meaning you're interested in what I have, at least hearing more about it and then converting and then and then guiding you to a yes in a natural way. Hmm. What I've always been really interested in learning more of is those folks that can hear no and just take that constant beating and it never breaks their spirit. There is a high that they get from overcoming a, 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 an objection quickly and precisely, like laser focused, and then and then turning that person to say, all right, sure. And I've been very, very blessed to work with some fantastic BDs, but I've always been so interested in that because that isn't really how cold calling has changed so much over the years that that really isn't how a lot of transaction is done. It's kind of a smashing of sales and marketing. And most entrepreneurs don't realize this, but you know, true sales person, people or true marketing people are kind of this one and the same now. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to leverage each other. And if you're good at both of them, at least good enough, the marketing volleys up the sale and you'll close a lot more business that way. But yeah, those people that can just, um, that can take a punch over and over and over. Um, that's always been someone that I've tried to, to learn from. You know, that's um, interesting because one of the things I've always known about myself, especially in the last 15 years, is I love cold calling. And when great. when I get rejected, it actually activates me to become better quicker. And this is kind of a side point, but I think it's relevant. I was a soccer goalkeeper, competing high school and college for many years. And when somebody scored on me, me being the goalkeeper that's when I truly came to life and lit up and became better. It would activate me and focus me. So I loved always, you know, in starting my businesses, I loved the cold calling aspect and I loved getting the rejection as odd as that sounds because it would, it was the only way where I could feel the risk. And once I feel the risk, I can get more focused and, and get more influential which is, is sort of odd. I think that's fantastic. But see, you're the guy that I'm talking about then. You're yeah. the type of person that I just appreciate and value. See, for me, the buzz comes from, and, and this is, I think, where, you know, the, the tenure over at, you know, those big companies we mentioned earlier um, is I was taking on just absolutely burnt toast territories. People were, and they weren't just, and at, at that size of company, it wasn't cold calling per se. You're trying to salvage because they know who IBM and Oracle are. Most people, you know, in that position, I had to take them at their angriest, right? And kind of go on the on the on the apology tour and just say, and and that's where I get a buzz. I get a buzz when you say no. Cold calling buzz different, conversion buzz different. What I mean by that is, you know, when you you're mad, you're angry, and to defuse that bomb, dismantle it, if you will, and then begin a relationship, and then prove to you that I, that wasn't me who did that to you. That wasn't me. And I am your champion and I'm going to make sure it never happens again. That's where I really thrive. And also out of curiosity, you know, qualifying and asking questions to see, is this real or is it not real? And it's okay if it's not. If you don't have budget, timeline or pain, that's okay. I still have some parting gifts, if you will, some information you can take with. Um, but I, I very much appreciate a guy like you. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. How about that? Hmm. I'm a fan. Well, it's interesting. And I'm an introvert, which is the other thing. And I, I really get the impression that you're an extrovert. Yeah, I am. And how can an introvert 
be successful at sales? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what? I've I have seen more introverts be successful than extroverts. An extrovert like me um, has to has to practice the art of shutting up. Yeah. <laughs> of, be, of being quiet. Though I love to listen, I love to hear myself talk. That's not a strength. So people that are introverted, I have found to be more successful because they're natural listeners. The other thing about introverts is they tend to study either the situation or, you know, or, well, the situation. So they become obsessed with, uh, with the pain that, that they're the person on the other side of the table or whatever is facing. So they become obsessed with it and they really can then focus on the science of sales. The science is data. It's, it's, it's irrefutable fact data, a certain situation, right, of the pain that said person across the table is facing. And that's why I think that, that introverts can be stronger than extroverts like myself is because of that, is because they're listening. They're truly taking the moment to listen. And when they prescribe solution, if you will, it's spot on because they weren't waiting for them to stop talking so they could jump in. Interesting. Right? For, an, for an extrovert like me, it, it takes it, it's a learned science. I've had to practice it and rehearse it and uh, and work on it. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And le- we've been alluding to some of the qualities that make successful sales individuals. But let me just come out and straight up ask, is there a formula for successful sales in your mind? And if so, what is it? Yeah, I, I, the first piece of the formula is is to understand that what what selling is, is, is a language. Okay. It's, it's a language. So you're going to communicate something. You may be right. You may be wrong, but the formula is the mashing of that art and science heavy on the science. Meaning the science, like I said, is, is the data on, on the pain. Okay. It's, it's the data on the pain that, that you are facing the situation, the state of the economy, whatever it is. And you know, this irrefutably by financial records, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So you have that. So, so we start there. Now, wait um, a minute. Let me interrupt there. Yep. What do you mean exactly by the pain? Do you mean the p- pain point of the potential client or the client, or are you referring to something else? Oh no, sorry. Great question. Let me, let me take a step back. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to build a product, just to speak to your audience, if you're going to build a product, you or someone, you know, has had to have struggled with whatever it is that that product helps with. Correct. You're not just going to go invest in it. You're not just going to make a product because you just you think you think it'll work. Right. You've probably seen you've seen someone struggle with whatever it is. Like when we made Odium, okay, that 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 uh, removable, you know, portable soft rack. I had a leased car, okay, and I was really big in um, into snowboarding and paddleboarding at the time. I cannot, I couldn't bolt a uh, you know a, a hard rack to my leased car. I mean, they'd, 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 they'd force me to keep it, right? I, that was a problem that we had to solve. I could, and I thought, I can't be the only person that has a nice car that they don't want to, you know, bolt something to the top of. Right. Lo and behold, we were the number one uh, sport utility rack in 2016, I think, in Men's Journal and National Geographic. So we were, I was right. But that was a problem that I had faced or others I saw were facing. So you have to start there. You know, you're not going to call someone up, John, and say, hey, John, I hear you're in the, hear you're in the market for a, for a, puppy. You're like, uh, no, I am in no way I'm allergic to dogs or whatever it is. Sure. No one, no one sells like that. That's not a real thing. Well, 
people sell like that, and that's why we block numbers on our on our cell phones. <laughs> right. But but first, you have to find out. Okay, who am I helping? Who 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 is my? Here's where the, the science comes in. Who my identified target? Who do I serve? Who who am I here to serve? Right. And then who would be the easiest person to get a conversation with? Meaning, who's facing this problem more than anybody else? And who do you think that I would jive with? And then you start breaking that scientific kind of formula out. You start pairing it together. And then the art comes. And the art comes naturally then because what you're doing is you're communicating the value because you understand the pain thanks to the science part of the art and science of sales. You understand that this person and these people um, are struggling with this thing. And then when you communicate your value, you're not talking about your product. You're talking about them. And when you present the solution that just so happens to be your product, well, they say yes, right? They say yes, because you've understood um, everything that they're going through. You've put yourself there. And, uh, and then you say, hey, you know, I, I faced it too. And here's, here's the solve. And people say yes to that, that process. That's the formula. I know you asked that question a long time ago, but yeah, no, that's, and then, and then it's not hard and then it's not hard and anybody can do that. Now, the good to great, that's that, I, I'm of the mind that there are there are people that were born on Earth to do sales at a high, at a really high clip, the top one to three percent. But everyone else can can do can follow a formula like that because it's it's authentic, it's genuine. Mikolai, who do you most admire as a salesperson or a sales entity, and why? So there's there's two folks that I really um, I'm attracted to today. It's Brandon Bornichin. I think I'm gonna screw his name up. Bornichin. He's with Seamless AI, and then Steli FT. He's over at Close. Um, and here's the reason. So people, to, now you asked the training question, and I don't want to dog on any trainers because I was trained many many times over and over and over, and that those nuggets of knowledge I've carried with me. So I, right. But what I love is a salesperson who's going out of their way to educate the market, right? To celebrate the art and the science of this craft we call sales and trying to help other people get better at it, especially people that aren't, don't consider themselves naturally uh, salespeople. There's a lot of myths about sales. One being you have to be extroverted. You do not. Um, I want some, for me, someone who's out there giving information, right? Spreading the word, but is also in the field of sales. Let me clarify. I'm not a great salesperson because I wrote a book based on my experience 10 years ago and now I just tour and sell books. Okay. There's people that do that and good for them. I refuse to ever be one of them. I want to constantly be sharpening my claws. I want to constantly be honing my craft. And the only way to do that is to be in the field of sales as it occurs today. That's my opinion. So those guys, Brandon and Steli, uh, they're two of many that, um, that are in the field that they are selling today, but also love this art and, and science so much that they, they give what they learn away. You know, there's tons of blogs and podcasts on this stuff too, but those two just really jump out to me. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'll ask a similar question. It might end up in the same result here, but what has influenced you the most in your life, either professionally or personally? Great question. Um, great question. Because I think I think a lot of salespeople or entrepreneurs or whatever have that those that moment or those moments. I have a, a handful of moments that really uh, force me to accelerate. You know what I mean? That put me in a position to say, Hey, you've got to get this together. And, and, and it influenced my success. Okay. And they weren't positive. <laughs> well, one of them was that moment, you know, when I was told that, Hey, you know, you're, you, you better, better go, 
grab a pickaxe and get to work <laughs> or whatever. Right. Um, and then, and then discovering this called sales, uh, thanks to my uncle Jana, that was number one. Cause a, it was hope. I thought, you know what? I can't do most things, but I can do this. Okay. Number two was when I graduated uh, college in North Dakota, I went straight to uh, New York city. <laughs> so small town, then North Dakota, then New York city, you know, and I'd never had a credit card before and I never heard of compound interest. So uh, I was hanging out. I was an entertainment agent in Manhattan. <laughs> Is that <laughs> right? Hanging- Wait, let me ask you something. You graduated from North Dakota and then yep. you went to New York Were you recruited from somebody in New York or did, or did you just pick up and go? No, I wish I was that, that cool. Um, I, I was recruited from, uh, an entertainment agency, um, that was based in, in New York back then. And, um, I had worked in college as I, I did, I was a musician, so I'm still a musician for my kids, I guess. And I was not professional anymore, but, um, where I would, uh, you know, I love music. So I would book the music. Um, I, I had an opportunity to book all the music at the university of North Dakota for a handful of years. And so I got to work with agencies. I had a couple that I was really interested in uh, pursuing, you know, kind of a job afterwards. And, uh, yeah, the, the one in New York, uh, recruited me hard. They brought me to, uh, um, Times Square for the first time, having that cheesecake place that Seinfeld yeah, used to go to, you right. know, um, the Zen pal, I don't think that's still around here, but this, I'm not vegan, but this, it was like this vegan, everything about it was awesome. We went to, uh, you know, a show at the, the living room. It was just, everything was cool. And I was sold, you know, I'm like, forget it. And, um, so I went there. It was great. It was great. It was a great job. You know, um, I'm very fortunate to be able to, I worked through college, so I had some money saved up, um, to, to not have to jump right into a, you know, a corporate job or whatever. Um, I got to do that. Now the, the flip to that is I, uh, wasn't making the salary that I was spending at and I was hanging out in Manhattan. I mean, it's $14 Coors Lights back then, you know? <laughs> um, and I drank a few of them. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I put myself in a hole and, uh, uh, and then when I moved, I moved from, cause we, they transferred the agency to Philadelphia, which was great too. Um, I just had to go. I was like, Ugh, you know, I need to, I need to get, I need to resolve this, uh, this little credit card thing. So early twenties, it was a positive mistake, but right then I moved to Denver and, and got hooked up with Verizon and, and made presence club that year. I mean, it was, that was the start of, that was the beginning of the biggie. Right. It was like, hey, I'm I'm never looking back at that situation. I'm going to get myself out because that's what we do. You know, small town. You don't I didn't ask anyone for help. I didn't even tell my parents. Um, I just got myself out of it. And um, and it was great. It worked out. But but that was a moment. And that you know, that the, I would say those two moments really have motivated me, have motivated me to never to never get soft, to never relax, you know. Um, and which where I think do you is what think they, where do you think you get that sort of resilience and moxie and where do you think you get that sort of persistence or that type of attitude when you're confronted with those challenges? Um, a couple of different sources. I mean, ADHD helps. I think people look at it as a negative, but I have found a lot of value. Yeah, it is a positive in a lot of ways, which is a huge other topic. Uh, yeah. Um, and my parents, I mean, I, I, I was, I was raised by fantastic parents, um, fantastic parents. And, um, you know, good or bad, you know, based on, I mean, my dad was laid off a couple of times, you know, my mom had to go through some crap. They never let us see it. You know what I mean? And that resiliency has carried me throughout. I mean, it's, my brother's the same way. He's, he's, uh, he's a more of a corporate guy, but he's, he's successful. And, um, I think that was taught by then, but also, you know, you said it fear, uh, that fear of being put in a situation where you start looking at 13%, you're like, Holy moly, you know, this is, uh, it's going to take some work. And to say, I'm never, ever going back to that moment. Right. 
When you said 13%, what were you referring to? Oh, the compound interest on that credit card I was talking about earlier. And it wasn't (laughs) ridiculous in in today's terms, but at the time, basically on salary. And you look at that and you say, all right, I believe that 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 moment right there propelled me to all those presidents clubs in, in, you know, the top one to 3% in the big corporate sales. I believe that that same thing was when we took this leap, you know, we just had our first kid, we bought a big house on the lake. And then I leave that to, to, to start our first company. Um, that's scary. And I've always put myself in those positions. I, I thought I was crazy, but working now with more entrepreneurs, we realize that's kind of how it is. And I don't know how to describe it to you. It's just this itch that we're never fulfilled, right? It's, it's what's next, what's next, what's next. Yeah. But I do know that my sales persistence definitely rooted back to, uh, you know, that hole that I put myself in, in my early twenties. Now you alluded to being a musician as well as, uh, I think a snowboarder and maybe action sports in general are, it makes me ask the question or wonder, are you a risk taker by nature? Calculated, calculated risk taker. Um, let, let me, let me explain. So when we go, when I go snowboard, I still go snowboarding. We go to whitefish and, and back to Colorado a lot cause I have good friends out there. I'm going to hit a tree run after you've went down it. <laughs> right? If I see tracks down a tree run, I'm all in. I am not going to go take, you know, a back bowl hit and then get stuck in some tree well. Cause I've done that. Right. Um, I think same with when I was moving around, you know, so what I did in corporate is I would take these because here's here's how I had the success is that I would take these terrible territories because there was a one no expectation they're like forget it if you, if you want that territory you go and then no one was up my you know what so I could do my thing and that was great um and when I would leave and go to the next one it would be calculated it would be taking a peek at okay um IOT's just coming out these Watson commercials that's when I went over to IBM it's right then I thought this is going to be big man if this if any of the half of this stuff is true IOT is going to be huge. Well, we obviously know that that worked out, right? So putting yourself in those positions where the next thing, it's it's almost like I don't know how it couldn't work out. So when we left that and then went into um, what we do now, and, and some of it is building teams, well, the war for talent, I was researching that years ago before it was a thing. You know, the war for talent, the war for talent, unemployment rate, you know, 50-year low. Well, now we're living that. Right. And, and so and this data is out there. It's not like I'm a genius for, for realizing this, but I'm willing to take a risk if if in my heart of hearts, I believe, OK, I've done enough data pull to realize I think IoT is going to be big or, hey, I'm going to go start this company because I think in a couple of years, gig economy is going to take off, which it did. So our fractional you know, sales leadership has been working out. I think people are going to be looking to accelerate uh, the revenue growth because of the high tide that we've been you know, living economy that worked out. Um, so, so on and so forth. I've also made some mistakes. Um, I'm not the greatest person at running a company if I'm being honest. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta calculate and you gotta, you gotta make those, those decisions based on a, who you are, b what the market's telling you and c um, a true belief that you can, can hit it out of the park. Do you think you're driven in part by risk taking? And let me explain what, what I mean by that. For me, in doing a number of self-assessment studies years ago, I've realized that my risk propensity is higher than a lot of my peer group. You know, I've yeah. always skied off cliffs, jumped off cliffs into rivers, parachuted, <laughs> uh, jumped, you know, bungee jumped. And t- I've always 
been motivated by taking a risk. And in doing so, I've sort of studied why that is. And for me, if I'm not taking risks, and, and, and it's always a calculated risk. In other words, I've never been hurt, right? I always know where my bound is, my boundary is. But I've always needed to take risks because for my type of personality and temperament, I need to do it in order to feel alive and to sort of activate my focus and alertness. And if I'm not doing that, this this is just something I realized over time. I'm not deliberately doing this. But if I'm not taking a risk, I'm not feeling alert and alive and I'm my confidence starts to decline, which is sort of odd to say. No, I, I don't think that's odd at all, John. In fact, that's the most articulate way I've ever heard anyone say it. Then yes, then you, yes, I share that with you. Um, you know, I told my wife when we left uh, the, the corporate life, because here's the deal, you know, you, you're fixed at how much money you can make there. You can make a good amount of money, but you're never gonna make an infinite amount of money. You know what I mean? Right. Um, in entrepreneurship, things work out, you can, at least infinite to whoever, is, is the beholder. But, um, I told her, I don't know how many times when this blows up, we're going to retire. When this blows up, we're going to retire. Well, that was like three companies ago or four. I don't even know what we're on now. You know what I mean? I'm never going to retire. And I, and I think that I can think it. So it motivates me that I'm going to find that one day where we're just going to sit hammock and drink my ties. But I think I'm also addicted to the pain and that risk, like you just said, Yeah. now calculated risk. Okay. But why do guys like us, I love jumping out of planes too. In fact, I fly planes. You know, why would I do that? These rickety little, you know, they're just tin boxes. Why would I do that? You know, why, why do anything? It's because I think there is a chemical in our brain. Why do we get up on stage and do coffee and closers? You and I talked about this. It right. makes me nervous every time. When I used to play on stage, I, I would wear sunglasses because I was so nervous. I didn't want to make eye contact with you because I was afraid you were <laughs> going to think that I, that I was singing terrible or whatever. Right. You know, why do we do these things? I think that there are people that are just, is there, is there, it's an endorphin rush. I don't know. I'm not a chemist. I can't explain it, but I think you're right because I know when we've, um, well, when in corporate America, I spent, you know, 12, 13 years, there was a lot of people that were, that, that were at the same company for 20 years. They were not going to take that risk. Now, my parents were at, at their jobs for same exact job for 30 years. Whether that was out of choice or not, I don't know, but I'm willing to bet that uh, they were there to support us. They probably would have rather done other things, mm -hmm. but they weren't going to take a risk because it would have put their family. And to me, I'll never forget that and I'll never not respect that. You know what I mean? Um, I put my family at risk when we when I left uh, you know, IBM and to start this thing, that was risky. My parents probably had some things to say that they <laughs> they kept their mouth shut, but they probably wanted to yell at me. Right. It worked out. But think it was going to work out regardless because if it didn't work out let's fail fast let's pivot hard and let's do something else two more questions and then let's close this out because i know i'm taking a lot of your time here number one let's talk about the concept of rejection i think rejection is a fear that a lot of people have and when they think of sales they think of sort of the flip side of of that being rejection and they're not suited for that talk about your suggestions and how people can better deal with rejection. The first piece of rejection is to understand that your fear is shared by everybody. Even you, John, when you say, oh, you know, I love to cold call and, you know, 
there still is every time you pick up, there's a weight to the, to the phone. Yes or no. Right. Um, so, so understand that it's okay. It's okay. And here's the other thing about rejection is you can study this. You can study it. That's what people don't realize is a, we all are fair af- afraid of failing. We all don't want to hear no. I would love to hear yes. Anyone that says I would take a no over a yes, the only place that that would qualify is if you're if you're unqualifying something. Do you have budget? No. Do you have timeline? No. Is this a true need? No. Well, those are good no's. And you want them as fast as possible because otherwise you're just going to waste your time and theirs. Okay. But getting over obstacles, so understanding those two things and then that third being that you can study this. You can study it, what the market's telling you, or you can study it by experience. How I learned um, objection handling when I was at Concur, because I was that's when I was just cold calling, was I would try and get them to say no as many times as possible so that I could understand why and then ask why. I'm a big boy. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I just want to get better at my job, and, and I don't want to waste time of, of other folks that are maybe in your similar situation. Just diffuse it to say it's okay you're saying no to me. There's a yes or there's no. Getting, getting over the fear of rejection is understanding that we all face it. Number two is that by collecting no's, that's not a bad thing. And then studying those no's. Why did they say no right then? But by just saying, you may not see value in this, and it's either because it doesn't bring value to your situation or I'm not communicating it correctly. Could you just tell me which one it is so I can do better for you? Because I don't want to pass on this because of me. And, and the fact that I failed you, I want you to pass on it because it isn't a product or a solution that can help you, right? And if you just give them permission, what, what's left, right? Like at that point, they're like, sweet, okay, done. Let's, let's, let's converse. It's the, that's how I open up all of it because then, then rejection becomes a non-issue, yeah. right? They, they, you give them permission to reject you right off the bat. They may or may not, but it definitely diffuses the situation. It does. And that's excellent advice. Well, Mikolai, have there been any questions that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have? Or do you have any closing pieces of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners today? I will just say this, John. Well, first, uh, you've asked fantastic questions. Uh, this has been a great uh, experience for me, and hopefully your listeners will, will, will feel the same. But one thing that I will, I will tell these listeners, and these listeners in particular because they're, they're entrepreneurs who are creating products, so on and so forth. We're all in sales, okay? But sales, sales is just a, a communication. It's just a communication tool, okay? People think, oh, sales, and they, 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 I can't do that. Everybody can do it because if you, if, you, if you have a product that you created based around a pain or, or a situation that you, that you saw and lived or know someone that did, you created this thing to help that type of person, then you need to just communicate what you, you're offering, have confidence in your offering, can do for them, therefore it could do for, for someone else. And also never, just be curious, never stop asking, never stop listening, never stop, you know, kind of prodding uh, folks that uh, you think that might be interested in your product because you're going to learn something each and every time. And you pair that with the data that the market is telling you about um, the situation that you've created a product to solve, you just design, you'll, you'll close more deals than you ever had before. Mikolai, this has been a real joy. You've been a fantastic guest, offering some great Thank stories you. and advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on your success, for your entrepreneurial courage, and for sharing your experiences with us today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, John. This has been a, a true pleasure, and uh, thanks for having me on. 
Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business.